Um, it's, a, it's a doozy. So living the life within you, mental health misconceptions. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's get into it after I share with you uh, something that made me pause this week. And this time it's only one, because I have a lot more to cover later, and I, I can't go through a whole ton anymore. Um, but this was really, really cool, because a number of individuals that I've bumped into uh, have been talking about this thing called deconstruction. And it, it's a touchy topic. Some hate the term and some love the term, but we're trying to define it better so it's not such a, a negative thing, because I think it can be a beautiful thing and a necessary thing. Um, but deconstruction is not about destroying one's faith. I know many people have, just because they saw something's wrong in their, in their interpretation of Scripture or how church does stuff, and they just say, goodbye Jesus, goodbye church, and they're gone. And it's, it's such a cold swing without really looking at the faith holding them together. So I came across this. When I say I'm de deconstructing, it doesn't mean that I've lost my faith or that I'm walking away from God. Quite the contrary. It means I no longer am satisfied with an autopilot faith that asks no questions and isn't overflowing with curiosity. It means I'm uprooting toxic beliefs passed down to me from flawed systems. It means I am holding space for doubting aspects of religion while seeking a more intimate, authentic relationship with God. When I came across that one, I thought, that is a beautiful description of deconstruction that I'd not seen yet. And pretty soon, you end up having a whole bunch of definitions, and together, they're beautiful. Um, I, I call it the renovation of our faith, or discipleship 101. <laughs> We're just continuing to grow. So it's, it's not a foreign new thing. You might think, oh, deconstruction is a new thing. No, it's not. Everybody's been deconstructing. Paul, the apostle was deconstructing in the temple on Mars Hill. He was helping shape and share life and good news without pointing out all the wrong things that the uh, other altars and temples were too. Do you notice that? He did not go into Mars Hill in front of all these non-believers and say, you guys are going to hell. You're believing the wrong thing. I'm right, you're wrong. He didn't do that. He came in and said, ah, an altar to an unknown God. Huh, let me tell you about him. It's a beautiful way to do it. I, I just thought that was really cool. And by the way, there's going to be a really good two-part evangelism um, conversation on Still Growing Grace on Wednesday mornings with Richard Murray and myself as we talk about that very topic of Mars Hill. It's, it, was, it was a really fun discussion, so it's not going to air this week, probably in two weeks. So let's get into this mental health misconceptions. Why did I title it this? Because it matters. That's, oh, I forgot about this one. Right, Henry Nouwen. This fits into, this dovetails into today's topic. I was going to share it last week at the end, but I'm glad I didn't because it fits better today. A gift only becomes a gift when it is received. And nothing we have to give, wealth, health, talents, competence, or just beauty, will ever be recognized as true gifts until someone is open to accept them. This all suggests that if we want others to grow, that is, to discover their potential and capacities, to experience that they have something to live and work for, 
we should first of all be able to recognize their gifts and be willing to receive them. For we only become fully human when we are received and accepted. Now, received and accepted also applies to knowing who God is, knowing who we are in God, who we are in Christ. Everybody's looking for meaning, and in the church world, unfortunately, we've tried to find meaning in the doing of church. We're not human beings, we're human doings. And we're, it's about all these, fit this list, and then you feel good. Well, then there's a new list. It's like I used to go to church on Sundays and get cleaned up and forgiven up, and then all week you get dirty, and then the pastor says, okay, for all the stuff you did this past week, make sure you repent of it, come on up, and oh my goodness, I went through that roller coaster. It was awful, you know? Anyway, now, why does this matter? Here's why. If we are called to love one another, then what we think about one another matters, which leads us to need to understand one another better, which will include our concept of mental health, our own and that of others. Today's message will unpack some important mental health misconceptions that need to be disassembled. You see, we talk about other things when it comes to knowing who God is, but we don't, and we talk about thinking sometimes, which I'm going to cover more next week, but then we deal with the health of our mind, the health of our concepts of how we perceive others and ourselves. So I want to look at some misconceptions. How do we then live the life of Jesus within us with that mindset? Well, first we begin, we look for the life. Look for Jesus in you. We begin with Christ in you. That's, that's kind of what John starts with in 1 John chapter 1. This message I give you is one that we have heard firsthand. This, it's the, it, God is in all. Like it's, it's a beautiful, good news message. And if we need to look for it in here, if we can't, maybe somebody can point it out. But then we have to believe it. So if we hear about this life of, of Christ in us, then we need to believe it. But then again, we need help with that sometimes. Then we love others with that life. We don't love one another with our own self-love. We don't live from our own strength. We live from the life and strength of Jesus. And we have learned that as a uh, Christian community here. I can still use the word Christian because I, I am a Christian. I just don't like the system of Christianity that our, our Western world has bought. But I still believe Jesus. I love Jesus deeply. Become more fully aware and informed of those things that hinder our journey and the journey of those around us. If we want to be more loving, if we want to live this life that's in us, we need to revisit how we perceive others, and that includes our judgments. So let's take a look at the, oh, I love this. Um, love your neighbor, and this t-shirt has it in English, Hindi, Russian, Swahili, Hebrew, French, anyway, all the way down. Liebe deine Nachten, that's love your neighbor in German. And I can't read half the other ones anyway, so that's okay. Um, but that, to me, was a beautiful picture. And you can buy this T-shirt, by the way, um, or whatever. Uh, but it's an image of the simplicity of our faith. We can complicate it really well. We have 
doctrinal manuals. We have systematic theology books that are like this thick that you only read once in Bible college, and they're super expensive, and then the new editions are made because that's how they make money. But anyway, the point is, it, this is about um, simplifying all the technological or theological conversations. The message of grace is simple. Living it is simple. And if we can see that it's simple, oh my goodness, the pressure's off. Ten misconceptions regarding mental health. And then we'll talk about five misconceptions from traditional church regarding mental health that are even worse than these misconceptions. We've talked about this a couple years ago, but this is still really good. Mental, this is a myth. Mental illness, illnesses aren't real illnesses. Well, if you've had any exposure to media in the last couple years, mental health is a very real issue. And for people to say it's not a real issue, what does real mean? Often it means I'm judging the other person that they should be able to manage it. Or, you know, they're just being weak. We'll get into some of the other misconceptions in a second. But this is a big one. It is real. That's the point. It's a really real thing. Church people have the hardest time with it, by the way. Really religious people have a hard time believing it's real. And I think I cover that in the next batch. Myth number two. Some of the so-called mentally ill are just making excuses for their weakness or failure. These people need to stop whining, get off the couch, and go find a job. Ouch. I've heard people say this. And it's usually done, listen to this, it's usually done at a coffee shop gathering of a few people. Where you think you can be super honest, that's, oh, that's how I really feel. Really. It's in those private spaces you need to really have that conversation again. Stop it. This is a much, much bigger issue. And by the way, when you're connected to people that do have mental health issues, or you have a loved one that does, or you're a friend of somebody that does, or you're suddenly exposed to somebody going through a major crisis, or somebody takes their life because of one, um, suddenly you begin to investigate. But maybe you don't care because it's not connected to you. Huh. But Jesus cared all the time. That's why this matters. That's why if we want to live this life of Jesus out of us, then we need to be able to at least have a heart for those. Myth number three, bad parenting causes mental illness. <laughs> yeah, blame somebody. <laughs> um, causing it? No. Can it be a contributing factor? Yes. But it doesn't cause it. Myth number four, people don't recover from mental illnesses. And in the church world, people walk away from people with mental health illnesses and relabel it, which we'll cover. But they also will say, hey, um, we'll just write them off, and they move on to other people. And they find a way to get rid of people that are a problem for them. It's easy to get rid of, easy to get rid of people in your church. It really is. And then otherwise, it's just people you want around you. Now, you really got to think about your motives on this. Yes, people can recover. There is hope. There is healing. We're learning more and more about that in science. Myth number five, people who experience mental health or mental illnesses are weak and can't handle stress. Oh, sometimes I've actually believed that, and it's like it's still not true. Not for authentic mental health illness. Myth number six, Kids can't have a mental illness like depression. Those are adult problems. It's a learned thing. Well, 
That too is not true. We are finding more and more individuals younger and younger that are dealing with depression and serious issues, anxiety issues. Anxiety is another huge topic, and that's part of the mental health um, spectrum on mental health illness. So it's, it's a myth that kids can't. Yes, they can. Myth number seven, mental illness is destructive, but thankfully it's still not all that common. Ha! <laughs> oh, yes, it is. It's extremely common. And I have a hunch the more honest we are, many of us have moments and bouts or times of mental health stress, and we need someone to talk to us or talk us through it, counselors, therapists, you name it. Maybe you've not been exposed to it, but it is real. Don't kid yourself. Number eight, mental health disorders are biological. It comes from bad genes. Um, to write it up, now the reason this is worded this way is because some people believe it's, it's just that, as in a full write-off. Well, can our genes and, and our background, our biological past be a contributing factor? There's science to show that it can be a contributing factor, but you don't write it off and say, oh, that's just biological. It's, it's, it's the fling of the wrist, oh, it's this, that I have a problem with. We're not that smart. There are many, many other people that are studying this far deeper and wider than we ever thought. And in the church world, we've got other language for it, and I'll show you in a few minutes. Myth number nine, people can recover from depression or anxiety disorders with drugs alone. <laughs> no. It's, it's a myth. Many on prescriptions have said they hate the drugs. And I've seen firsthand where individuals that are trying out drugs have a horrible time trying to figure it out, and they, they hate what it does to you. And you need a really good doctor to help you with that. Oh, my goodness. It's, yeah, not drugs alone. There are many other things that we can do to help us on that journey. And it's, we'll leave that alone. I'm not here to do a, a session. I'm here to, to dispel the myths behind it. Number 10, myth number 10. When the mentally ill attempt suicide, it's a cry for help. <laughs> um... That's a very simplistic way to put it. The darkness can be so dark, they don't realize they're doing what they're doing. It isn't about crying for help. It's more like trying to make the pain stop. Many individuals who've tried to take their life or have, have hit this darkness. And I've heard church people say, and not even just church people, other people say, well, that was such a selfish thing to do when they took their life. Oh, they were only thinking of themselves. Oh, why weren't they thinking of their loved ones? Oh, and, and on and on. Folks, I understand that lens, but I believe it is incorrect. It is limited, and you, you, you're allowed one minute on that, and then you've got to move past that and realize there are other contributing factors that have come into that person's life to bring that kind of darkness about. And I believe Jesus is in that darkness, not absent. Really important to remember that. So it's, it's, it's not a cry for help. It's a trying to escape the pain. It's just too much. A better way to view it, and I heard this from a psychologist that uh, spoke to a number of professional emergency workers, and she said it isn't mental illness, but rather mental unawareness. And as she explained it, I went, oh my goodness, that makes so much more sense. Because there's a stigmatism about mental illness. Because as soon as you say mental illness, oh, I don't want any of that. Oh, uh, no, I'm fine. And we, we pretend it's not a thing, or that we have it, or that that is even possible. And yet, 
This is about the awareness that sometimes people are not aware of the struggles or aware of the solutions of how to get out of things. So this, this is worth exploring more, but not today. All right, five misconceptions from the traditional church regarding mental health. Number one, it's demonic. <laughs> this is the number one phrase that's used in churches across North America and in many other cultures as well, that it is a demonic thing. Oh my goodness, if only we could wake up and stop eating pablum for breakfast. That's kids' food. That's like child's concept of not understanding the facts. Always something spiritual to blame, even when we, we know so little or have a narrow lens regarding spiritual things. We just call it demonic because we write it off and say, well, then why not this, this, this? And you have your arguments. I think, I think we tend to worship demonic things way too much by, in the way of giving too much credit to it. Much too much credit. It's not about demonic. And if you're going to do that, you better define that word better than what you think it means. Myth number two. Here's what people say. Can you see how loving this is? You aren't trusting Jesus for your sufficiency. So who's the pressure on? You. There it is again. Blame something else. Blame something else. Never taking ownership that maybe there's something I can do to become aware of. I remember when I went to see a therapist for about three years. It was a very difficult journey, and the unlearning was probably more powerful than the learning because having to pull those pieces out that were not supposed to be there, suddenly there was room to see better. And go, oh, no, I couldn't have seen this without the help of someone else. It's very helpful. Don't avoid going seeing a counselor. It should be like going to your annual checkup. It should be normal. And the younger generation today, they're doing it. They're, they're getting it. Us older generation, we still think, oh, it's for people with real problems. No, it's, it's called mental health. We have physical health, spiritual health, mental health, soulical health. Like the, This is very holistic. I'm far more open to the term holistic than I ever was. There's more stuff going on. Not, a, not one person is qualified to deal with all of them at once, especially a pastor. Oh, my goodness. Well, they're the man of God. They should have all the answers. Ugh. Not true. That's a myth. Anyway, I better not rant. <clears throat> myth number three. Oh, here it is. Again, blaming. You need more faith, after all, and it's all in your head. Wow. Guilt and shame approach, implying the one saying is superior in faith, and also implying it's not real, implying the mental health thing's not real. See, when we judge someone else and say their, we, their faith is weak, we have just become a judger. We've put ourselves in a seat, and, and we're defining this word faith. You need to have more faith? Hang on. We all have the faith of Jesus, so we don't lack faith. We lack the awareness of its presence in us. Very different. Careful how you talk about this. Myth number four, this is more in the charismatic world. You are healed, so walk in your healing. Emphasis is on the sick. It's up to you again. Huh. Um, and honestly, in, in the places where they focus so much on healing, that's where demonic comes in real quick. 
or you need to speak to your true identity. Well, all that la-la talk does not help if you don't explain it. And here's what I mean. A person can say you are healed. I believe that. I believe we are healed. I, I know what they're talking about. And then they, but then they say, so walk in your healing. They never explain the bridge of how to get there. It's this fuzzy in between, and they skip over it and get to their answer so they don't have to deal with you and the journey, and they can't explain it either. But it's a wonderful saying to say, well, I don't want to hear any more about this. <laughs> I don't want to deal with you. It's shutting the door. It's the lack of love. Where Jesus was drawn to the hurting. He was, he, he had his like antenna up for the hurting, not avoiding them. Clearly you aren't doing something right. Get with the program. (laughs) Oh boy. That really is a helpful thing to say, isn't it? Makes people feel so loved. Myth number five. It's only for baby Christians Mature believers don't struggle with their mental health. I've heard this too. And I've thought it until, that was in the early years of pastoral ministry. Because that's what we were taught. You know, as you mature, and then maturity shows that you don't have problems. And that's why you see many older generation Christians never express or admit problems. Because they think they're mature, really they're not. It's a big problem. Uh, I hope you can see these myths and realize if any of these have been sort of true in your thinking, I'm challenging you to rethink so that once this is dealt with, now you are yet even more open to love others. That's the point of this myth list. What people think anxiety feels like, worrying about everything all the time. But what anxiety actually feels like Sweating a lot, second-guessing yourself, muscle tension, trouble sleeping, chest pain, overthinking all the things, increased heart rate, your mind and body refusing to cooperate no matter what you know is rational. This is accurate. And if you've been in that world, you know it's true. And if you haven't, and you still think it's this, at least consider, oh, I didn't know there was a different other menu item. I didn't understand. So now seek to understand and you'll become a far more compassionate person, less judgmental, slower to anger. (laughs) Funny how that works. What we believe matters, hence the misconceptions must be dealt with, and what we say matters, because we only say what we believe. You ever have somebody say, well, I'm just speaking my mind. Yeek. Great, what part of your mind? Like, honestly, just to speak your mind does not mean you have the right to blurt it. Just because you have an opinion does not mean you have the right to blurt it to anyone about anything. Any meaningful conversation happens in the context of relationships. Every single meaningful one. So if you're blurting an opinion, trying to bulldoze over somebody, That's not relationship. That's you trying to be more right than someone else, and Jesus never did that. 
The only people he confronted like that would have been who? Oh, religious people. Right. Okay. What we say matters. Because what we say, well, it's heard by somebody. Lord did this event with the youth many times where we'd have kids take a toothpaste and squeeze it out. Oh, yeah, they can do that. And then she says, no, put it back in. Put it back in the tube. Well, you can't. That is how it is with some of the words we say one to another. That's where forgiveness is a really big topic, too. (laughs) But to be careful with our words, saying less, typing less. (laughs) Your words have power. Use them wisely. And I hear the way people speak to each other in the grocery store or out in public. I hear parents harshly screaming at their kids. And I think of this. And then once in a while you're walking past the house and you hear the harsh yelling between a couple. And then you think you're doing just great because you don't sound like them. Uh Uh-oh. We have other ways of saying things to make the other person feel strangled or not able to say a word. And all of us have something to learn in this. Learning how to communicate better with one another. Speak gently with your children. You can't change how you feel without changing your thoughts. You can't change your thoughts without changing your focus. See? Coffee. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But this is really true. We've talked about emotions before, you know, or somebody will say, I'm just speaking my mind, or I'm just telling you how I feel. Well, telling me how, I f- how they feel isn't always accurate. How many times have we expressed our feelings only to five minutes later, ten minutes later, realize, oh, I said it the wrong way. That's not what I meant. Or I hadn't processed that correctly. That's how I was feeling in the moment. I was processing all this stuff. <sighs> I'm a quick verbalizer. I process things verbally. And so I may speak more passionately and may sound angry, and I don't mean to. And yet, others process slower. And I have to learn to be patient and allow that slower process in conversations. What we think about. And something that I'm trying to learn... (laughs) funny. Um, When things are too busy, too full, like I have a really crazy weekend today, but, (laughs) and it sounds crazy to everyone else, and it is, but this week I've had to plan in advance so that it wouldn't be a normal full weekend of insane, just go, 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 go. I've got pauses in between. It's planned. I got room for surprises in between. So that I don't, I hope not to come home tonight. I want to be home mentally there. I might be tired, so what? It matters what we think. It really does. Where our focus is. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
New American Standard Bible. Yep. I'm going to show you a number of translations. This is going to be really, really good. Because this, to me, is a crux of faith that I've been learning about for 20 years. New Living Translation says, My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. See, I want to live abundantly, but what does that mean? Well, how about fullness? I want to live in fullness of the love of Christ. The Message Translation says, I came so they can have real and eternal life. I love this. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. (laughs) There's more. I have come with the sole purpose for you to have life in its most complete form. That's from the Mirror Translation by Francois. Here's another one. I think this is the Passion Translation. Yes. I love this. But my desire is to give you everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Who wants that kind of life? I do. And then the First Nations version says, I have come to give the good life, a life that overflows with beauty and harmony. Are you seeing how one translation can't possibly cover it? This is good news. Next week, we're going to deal with the patterns of thinking that hinder a healthy mind. And then after that, we're going to deal with how to empower and enhance healthy thinking patterns. This is a big deal, how we live the life within us. First, you've got to believe it's there. And if you believe it's there, how do we let it out? Christ lives in you and wants out. I hope this made sense to you today. This was just a stepping stone to next week's message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace Love, kindness. May you reveal to us where our thinking patterns need an autocorrect or adjustment, realignment. Um, Would you infuse peace into us in a way that we can experience it? I know it's there, but help us to experience it so we can be more loving to one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.